Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Episcopal Church in Vero Beach, Florida. We are glad to have you join us. The Essential 100 Bible Study, also known as E100, is led by Father Christopher Rodriguez. This study is an overview of the Bible that guides you through 50 Old Testament and 50 New Testament stories. Upon completion of the study, you will have received the big picture of God's Word. All right, let's go ahead and start. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 42. Now, just by way of uh, repeating from last time, uh, we, we looked at Joseph. Joseph gets sold to the Egyptians. He becomes a very prominent man in the nation of Egypt. He becomes the guy who is in charge of, of all of the distribution of food. And uh, Pharaoh, we read about this last week, Potiphar's wife and so forth. And what was the one theme we saw repeatedly that made Joseph such a great guy? Anybody remember? He was what? He trusted God. It's the one thing you see. God was with him, right? And that he trusted him. And that's, and that's really important because people will oftentimes say, if you look at anybody in, in, in Christian history or in Jewish history here, the people that stand out are not the powerful and the influential. It's people that actually just trust God and do what he says. And it sounds simplistic and it sounds simple, but it's actually true. If you read about, I don't know, all sorts of different stories, but um, the, the point about Joseph is not that he was somehow, I mean, he was apparently very capable and handsome and charismatic and all that, but the most important thing about it was that God was with him, and that's why he was successful. That's the reason. And, he can be, and God is with you, too. That's the point. <laughs> uh, but the, again, the idea is that we are called to trust God. So Joseph is a guy who is after, after God's own heart. David, who is a train wreck in a lot of ways. We'll get to him later. Uh, you know, he's a murderer and adulterer and things like that. But interestingly, he's a man after God's own heart. And he repents, and God uses him. So that's an important a theme, which you'll see repeatedly in Scripture. So Joseph rises to power. He is in Egypt. The um, famine begins, and we go into chapter 42. You ready? Okay. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, I love this, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But, Joseph, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared what might happen to Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So it's not just, it's all people from all over the place coming. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. <laughs> Interesting. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Joseph said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, 
It is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there's truth in you, in you or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you shall live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simon, excuse me, Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their, their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw the money in the mouth of the sack. And their hearts failed them. And they turned, trembling to one another, saying, What is this that God has done to us? When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and told us that we were spies in the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your households, and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. And they emptied their sacks, and behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they... And their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should come to him on the journey, then you are to make it. You, should be, you would bring down my gray hairs and sorrow to Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Um, anything jump out at you? Are you confused? A little bit? Um, let me show you something. If someone didn't grab, there's a couple handouts there, but Father Gritter's going to show. Remember this graph I showed you a couple weeks ago? Did I give that to you, or was it... Uh, this is a graph, and there's, there's copies there if you want to take a look at it. This is a graph of Abraham. Okay, Abraham. You can't read it, but I'll just point it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? 
And this is the lineage, the covenant. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The covenant, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. These 12 blue guys here are his 12 sons. And the red ones are women, either his wives or his concubines, and, his, and one daughter named Dina. Anyway, what you may or may not be able to see is right here. So Joseph, brother number one, two, these are all in order of age, by the way. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Brother number seven. You see him right there? Okay. Brother number seven is a brother from another mother, and her name is Rachel. She's the one that Jacob loved. Remember that? Did we talk about that? We did, right? That um, Rachel's father tricked him and gave him Lee, who was apparently not much to look at. And so Jacob had to work another seven years, and he finally got Rachel. So Rachel is actually Jacob's favorite, the one that he loved in terms of not just loved as a husband would love a wife, but actually emotionally was attached to, I guess. Rachel has two sons. Their names are Joseph and Benjamin. That is why Benjamin and Joseph in this story, you keep hearing Benjamin, Joseph, bring the boy. There's a dynamic going on here that may not be obvious until you look at the graph. And the dynamic is simple, and it's all about favoritism. <laughs> that Jacob, remember, remember Isaac and Rebekah? They played favorites. She loved Esau, and Isaac loved Jacob. Remember that thing? Well, it's the same dynamic, right? These things visit families over, across generations sometimes. Now Jacob's got a favorite wife. Her name's Rachel, and his, her two sons are his favorite boys. Does that make sense? Remember way back when we started talking about Joseph, what got Joseph in trouble? He had a big mouth, and he was daddy's favorite. Remember? So what you're seeing play out in this narrative, the, sub, the subtext in all of this is basic good old family dysfunction. And that is that they are jealous of Joseph. They are, Jacob is terrified of losing his youngest son, Benjamin, by Rachel, right? The one he loved. And Joseph is keen to protect his brother. Do you see it? Okay, so to make a lot more sense, that's why I printed that out for you. This whole story will make a lot more sense to you if you understand what's going on in terms of this Benjamin, Joseph, brothers, Reuben, Simeon, all these guys. Remember, Reuben is the oldest. Reuben was the one who tried to stop them from killing Joseph. Remember that? And he kind of disappeared for some reason and then came back and then they decided to sell Joseph rather than kill him. Reuben's here. Reuben, if you remember the backstory, Reuben had done a nasty deed and had uh, slept with one of his dad's concubines, which didn't go over very well at the Thanksgiving Day dinner. So there's all sorts of just subtexts and dysfunction and conflict and jealousy and bitterness and sin, just like your family <laughs> and just like my family, right? We've all got families. We all have. So I want you just to see the immense practicality of what's going on in the text here, that it actually is a lot closer to home than you might think. I mean, maybe the specifics vary, but the underlying cause, which is sin, is underneath the whole thing. Does that make sense? Any observations about that? And then we'll walk through the text. Yes, Paul. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Who is Hashim? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, any other questions about this? About the, the matter at hand? Okay, so let's, look, let's start walking through this a little bit. What this story begins to show us, again, despite all the dysfunction and brokenness and treachery and jealousy and all the stew that goes with human relationships, 
What you see is actually God's providential hand getting his people to Egypt, right? Remember, there's an important dynamic here because in this guy here, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, why is he important? Because out of the tribe of Judah comes Jesus Christ, who is the savior of the world, of all humanity. And so if these 12 guys don't make it, we're all hosed. I'm serious. And actually, that, 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 that actually dynamic we're going to see later when the Jews are in, like, conquering um, Jericho, for example, and God orders the destruction of every living thing. People say, that's cruel. That's mean. Well, hang on. It is absolutely essential, essential, that these 12 guys make it for the Savior of the world to be come into existence. In other words, this is not just 12 sons. These are the means through which God will save you from hell and me and every other human being who's ever lived. Make sense? The stakes are rather high <laughs> that these guys make it to Egypt. So that is the narrative behind the story, that the divine purpose, that God's divine purpose is to get the Israelites, the 12, to Egypt so they don't starve to death. That's the immediate but God's plan is the salvation of the human race. So, um, let's, uh, when jo look, verse one, when Joseph learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his brothers, why do you look at one another? Remember the uh, Sanford and Son? What was the guy, it was Sanford, what was the, the boy, you big dummy, remember that? Yeah. You remember that, anyway. That's, what, that's the image I have here, that he's like, guys, what are you standing around looking at yourselves for? Get, get down to Egypt and let's get this moving. And the interesting thing here, which I wanted to point out to you, is uh, Isaac says, or Jacob rather says, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy some there that we may live and not die. Now notice something. Jacob is an old man. He can't see anymore. But he does see where the boys don't. It's implied in the text, right? Joseph has intuitively, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, told the boys to go to Egypt and buy grain. Right? Why? To get them down there. God's hand is behind this. You mean Jacob? You mean Jacob, rather, yes. Um, go down there and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. We don't start death. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain. Now, isn't that interesting? Why? Why does it say 10 of Joseph's brothers go down to buy grain and not... Ten of Jacob's sons. What do you think? What do you think? What, what's the, if you were, if you were reading this again in the context of family dysfunction, why would it say? Because it could the writer of the, the, the uh, Moses could have said ten of Jacob's sons went down to Egypt. Doesn't say that. He says right there. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain. What is that telling you about the writer here? Who is the focal point of the family? Joseph. Joseph. Remember, they're all jealous of Joseph. And dad does not know Joseph is alive. Neither do they. But Moses says, ah, but it's the ten brothers of Joseph going to Israel, not the twelve or the ten sons of Jacob. So again, is, is, it a, is it a big deal? No. But it is an important nuance in the text that is showing you that the writer, Moses, is trying to say, there's a lot of brokenness here, but the person behind the story isn't Jacob, it's Joseph. And, and actually, it's God. And they are half-brothers. 
And they are half brothers, that's correct. That's right. They all, they all know. Yes, that is a fair point. Janie says they are half-brothers. That's right. And they would have all known. You've all got families. News travels fast. You would have, they would have all known that Joseph was the, the, the son, and Benjamin, the sons of the favorite wife. Don't miss that. There's a lot of just brokenness here. And, and, and again, the, the, the specifics to your family and mine, of course, are different from this. But the, the family dynamic, the sin behind it all, is exactly the same. You with me? Okay. Um, yes. Yes, Lynn. In reality, there's the love that's eventually going to show. That's right. That's a good point. There's a, uh, Lynn's point is not only are they Joseph's brothers because he's going to save their lives, but also because the love, which we will see later, he shows them after kicking them around a little bit, which we'll see in a second. But he does. He comes around. Old Joe, you know, again, it's all about human brokenness. And it's all about God, human brokenness and sin, but God's hand working on it anyway. That's the point. Okay, let's move on. So, uh, thus the sons of, um, but Jacob, okay, let's go here. So 10 of Joseph's brothers, verse 3, went down to buy grain in Egypt. But jo Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. So, remember Joe, Joseph was the favorite? Now the favorite is who? Benjamin. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So these are not just the ten brothers of Joseph going there. These, there's people from all over the area going to buy grain in Egypt. It's a, you know, a migration, if you will. Now Joseph, now in case you've forgotten, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. The word governor there is an important word. Um, it means that he is the one who's in control of everything. So he is the, he's the guy calling the shots. He is the one, ironically, he is the one that the brothers have to meet in order to save their own lives, even though he's the very one they tried to kill. And bow down to it, we're going to get to in a second, yep. Um, he was the one who sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came and, uh-oh, bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Remember way back when Joe got thrown in the pit for being a big mouth? He told his brothers they would bow down before him, and what just happened? And then look what happened. Joseph, verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. I wonder if he recognized them because, and we don't know. We don't know how he, how he recognized them because this a long time is gone. Did he recognize them because they look the same? Because they don't recognize him. Or did he recognize them because they were from Canaan and they bowed down before him? What do you think? We don't know. But Joseph recognizes them. I mean, could you imagine? So you're Joseph, and you are there, and now you're in charge of all these things. And Joseph comes, your brothers come in, and they want help from you, and then you see them bow down to you. What do you think was going through his mind? You ever prayed for something in your life, and then that, and you go, and it kind of sticks with you for a while, and then something happens, and the light bulb goes off? Ever happened to you? I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. Uh, because I wonder if Joseph recognizes the brothers not because of their appearance, but because of their act of obedience to him. And I wonder if in a way this is Joseph going, okay, now I get this. In other words, this is not, so Joseph, we, we have to be careful not to presume 
that Joseph knows how this is all going to play out, because he does it. At least if he does, it's not clear from the text. But the point being that as God is moving around all the pieces on the chessboard and beginning to uh, slowly reveal his purposes, in that act of, of obeisance, God, sorry, Joseph recognizes them. So let's stop there a second. Do you think, does God ever put things in your lives to remind you of things he promised you before maybe you forgot about? You think? Yes or no? Yes. I think so. Uh, I think there are lots of examples that God tells us that things will happen, and we think, yeah, sure, right, whatever. And we go on our merry way, and then one day something happens, and we go, you've all had these things happen to you. Just experiences where you say, this is way bigger than I am. God has done something to give me a sign. He might have had the funny beard. His name is different. He looks different. He dresses like an Egyptian. That, that's right. They would have presumably been dressed as Hebrews, which would have been different. They would have had beards and so forth. Uh, but remember, the writer of the, the text says that there was a whole crew of people coming in. So again, how did he recognize them? We don't really know. It doesn't say. The text is not specific. However... The fact that they bow down to Joseph is a sign to Joseph, confirming what God had showed him in a dream 15 years earlier, whatever the time frame was, eight years earlier. And the brothers did. Yes, there was, there was, there was, he said, I saw my brothers bowing down to me. It was, it was. And then the dream was wheat and it was, uh, it was wheat, and then he says it was, his, it was a sign, of, it was his interpretation of his dream was that it was his brothers. And they told him that, of course, which they didn't like to hear. But it's kind of funny that that's actually precisely what happens. So, any comments on that? Yes, Rick. That's interesting, yeah, we're gonna get to that in a second. Yeah, you're getting ahead of me there, but yes, I just wanna stay where we are here with this idea of the bowing down, that it's actually a fulfillment of the, of the dream that Joseph had, okay? Um, and wheat was the cause. Sorry? That's right. And so the fact that it was wheat that was bowing down. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's right. Lynn's point is the wheat was what was bowing down to, the, and then they say, well, what is this symbolic of? And, the, and he says, well, the wheat is you guys. And that's not like, all right, this kid's got to go. But you're right. That was the, uh, that's the, this has come to fulfillment. When he was a kid. Right, right. So Joseph oversees the food. His brothers show deference to him, and then they bow down before him. And then it says here, let's continue on. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Roughly to them. It's a, it's a pretty harsh language there, actually. Where did you come from? He said, they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers. It's a second time it says that. And, but, he did not, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. Now let's stop there for a second. The text is overtly specific that Joseph makes the connection between the dream from way back when and this. And then he says to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of this land. What's he doing? Why do you think he's doing, and again, we don't actually know exactly, but why do you think he's, why do you think he's telling them you're spies? He's scaring them, okay? If they're yes, I would agree. That's what the commentators would say. What Jeannie's saying that he is, he is he is testing their character. They've already thrown him out once, right? Fool me once, my fault. Fool me, fool me twice, or you know how that goes. Uh, so he's 
probably just testing them. And he's pretty, he's pretty firm with them, actually. You are spies. And this is terrific, actually, the play on words here. Um, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Of course, the land is full of grain. There's no nakedness there. It's full, of, it's full of provision. They said to him, No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Let me just make an observation here about something. Again, one theme you see in Scripture repeatedly, in addition to themes that repeat themselves over and over again, favoritism, um, stri brotherly strife, uh, nepotism, all these sorts of things. You see these themes over and over again. You also see in Scripture this tremendous sense of God's irony. It's a sense, I hope you see it as humorous in a sense, um, because look what they say. No, verse 11, we are all sons of one man. Well, that's true, including the person they're speaking to. They don't know that. He knows it. They don't know that, but it's true. And the point being that you see in Scripture this Wonderfully, it's a wonderful sense of irony and humor in the text. We are all sons of one man, right? Which is a true statement. We are honest men. That is not a true statement. <laughs> and Joseph knows that. So he speaks harshly with them, um, and he begins to, uh, he, he is angry with them. He is disgusted with them because of what they've done to him. Um, he said to them, no, it is, verse 12, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and, there is, and one is no more. It's interesting, to Rick's point, why do they say we are 12 brothers? Because there's only, there's only 10 there. Well, they're identified, but it's interesting. It's, again, it's irony, and what you're beginning to see subtly here is their conscience is still tweaked. They're, they don't know that that's Joseph they're talking to, but it's still so salient and fresh in their minds they identify themselves as, as a band of 12 brothers. One is back with dad, the favorite, and one of them is dead. But what you're seeing here is the work of the Holy Spirit on their heart. And it, and it begins to unravel, as we're going to see in a minute. But I think that's to Rick's point. Why do they identify as 12 brothers? Well, because the 12 brothers is true, but their conscience is beginning to eat at them. You ever been in a situation with somebody, well, we've all have been in this situation too, where a person's conscience just, or maybe your own conscience just troubles you? And, and when someone, you, know, you confront somebody and things keep coming up from the past, out of nowhere, you're like, where did that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from unresolved guilt and sin and brokenness that has never been repented for and come, brought to the Lord. And we're seeing that. We're 12 brothers. Well, except one's dead and one's back with pop. Yes, that's right. Well, that's actually interesting. Yes, the, uh, we're in verse, uh, where are we here? Uh, verse 13, we are your servants. We are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, it is, as I said to you, you are spies. He's really pushing them. And again, see here two things. Joseph's angry, clearly. Joseph's frustrated. Clearly, but again, it is the Holy Spirit beginning to unravel their deception. Do you see it? Okay. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let them bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you. Now, why, why is Joseph so insistent on Benjamin being brought 
down to Egypt. Why do you think? Because it's his favorite brother. He's his full brother. Joseph wants Benjamin safely with him in Egypt. Go get him. Now, this is going to cause some problems with, with Grandpa when they get back there, which we're going to see in a minute with, uh, with Jacob. But Joseph is trying to do a couple of things. He's trying to bring his brothers to, he's trying to care for his brothers. At the same time, he's trying to discipline them and get them to own up to what they've done and let them see what they've done is wrong. It's just lots of different variables here. Joseph's heart is kind of mixed, like yours and mine is, right? He's angry on one hand, but he's compassionate on one hand. He cares about Benjamin, but he cares about his father too, who's going to suffer if Benjamin's brought away. There's a lot of dynamics going on here. But behind all of it, behind all of it, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that more closely in a second. Jim. Yeah, and, and, and so, so Jim, Jim made the point that guys like to give each other grief, which is absolutely true, particularly if you've got brothers, which I have one, and my, we have a good time ribbing each other, for sure. But again, and Joseph, again, to Joseph make this big deal out of Benjamin reinforces the idea that, you know, Benjamin is the favorite. It's just like, you know, a lot of layers to this here. Yeah, Lynn. And then we'll move on. Also because he wants to get the boys, the guys, all together to show the family. Yes. We are all family. Yes, Lindsay makes a good point. Do you think he's trying to get the brothers together to make them have a sort of joint intervention, I guess you might say? And actually, the answer to that point is yes, and I'll show you why. Verse 17, and Joseph put them together in custody for three days. So he throws them in, he throws them in jail for three days together. Why does he do that? We're going to see they begin to unravel. They begin, they begin to, they begin, you ever get, you've been on a family vacation, <laughs> right? And you get a bunch of people in a room together. You've done this. What happens? You argue. Well, you have, you have a good time, but then eventually somebody says something and there, out it comes and all the old stuff from the past comes out and yeah, but if you're all stuck in a room together or you're on a cruise or something, you got to work it out, right? Right? Joseph, again, intends to throw them in prison to teach them a lesson. Maybe he's a little bit angry with them. But by God's grace and by the working of the Holy Spirit, he's actually doing them a favor by allowing them as a group to begin to, uh, to unpack this brokenness that they've done. And I'll show you how that works. So, on the third, look at this, verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Boy, that is loaded. He, said, he, is, he says, do this and you will live, for I fear God. Joseph has just sworn an oath to the God of Israel. He's supposed to be an Egyptian. What's he doing? Eh, maybe he's giving him a little bit. Maybe he's letting him in on the secret a little bit. We don't know yet, and they don't pick up on it yet. But it's an important little nuance there. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your household, and bring your youngest brother to me. He is telling them, he is caring for them, he's giving them food to go back to Jacob and Benjamin, but he's also uh, requiring them to keep somebody there so they come back. He still doesn't trust him, does he? Why should he? Right. And this is, where, this is where it gets really juicy. Ready? So, um, uh, and they did so. Uh, I'm at verse 21. And they said to one another, In truth, 
Remember I was telling you about the three days in the pit and the three days in prison and the family dynamic and being together and Joseph saying, as I swear by, uh, I fear God. Now it begins to really un unravel. And they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. They mean Joseph. In that we saw the distress of his soul when, we begged us, when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. Do you see that? Can I just say this as a pastoral matter? When you are in a period of God really doing some serious work on your heart, and I hope he is continually doing that, but when you come to a point like this where things are really beginning to unravel, go through it like head first. Don't run away from it because these guys, these brothers, are beginning to say, man, this is really, this is coming back to bite us. And in fact, they'll say later on that all this struggle and suffering is God using this to bring them to repentance. God is judging us, they say. But this time together with them as a family is beginning to let them see the brokenness and dysfunction and the fact that they had never dealt with it. He said, they say it right here. This is why, um, then they said to one another, verse 21, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. We are guilty concerning Joseph and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why the distress has come upon us. And immediately Reuben defends himself. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? I mean, there it is. Wasn't me. Wasn't me. I told you guys this was going to happen. <laughs> any observations? Any, any, anybody comments or anything? Janet. I just have a question. Sure. He changes his mind. He's because... Yes the, re yes, the reason is Joseph, again, there's a lot of mixed stuff going on here. There's anger, frustration, guilt, all the stuff that goes with being a human being in a fallen world. Joseph initially says, send one and the rest of you stay in the joint. But after the three days of sitting in the prison, Joseph changes his mind. So Joseph's beginning, again, he's angry and hurt, right? He's well, will the brothers sacrifice one more for the, what they think is the good of the others? Right. So he is, but, he, but Joseph's beginning to move on this too. So we're, seeing, we're just seeing family dynamics at play. Yes, Paul. So we, we could presume all his brothers have children. He wants to get food back to his father. We know that when, they cut, when, we land, when we hear next time, when everybody arrives, when the whole caravan comes back to Egypt, there's 70 of them. So that includes wives, children, grandchildren, 70 people so that come along. Right, so he brings, the, he, that's one of the reasons why he sends the rest of them back. He's caring for, he's concerned about Benjamin, he's concerned about their welfare, and he wants to make sure that dad is fed, that, that there's food back there. So jo Joseph is beginning to move here as well. His heart is beginning to soften, clearly, because he shifts his position very quickly in there. Okay, let's move on. So, um, so now there was a um, verse... 23, and Reuben answered him, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? You did not listen. Reuben, of course, is the oldest one, and the oldest one always knows, right? I'm the oldest in my... So now there, was, so now there comes a reckoning for his blood. You know what? We, we deserve this. They think, they think that Joseph's probably going to take Benjamin and kill him. They did not know that Joseph, and this is, this is great, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he was there, was an interpreter between them. So they're talking Hebrew. He understands them, but he's playing dumb. It's brilliant. Then he, this is, this is actually where you begin to see Joseph's heart begin to melt. Then he turned away from them when he hears all this, that they are beginning to 
understand the guilt of what they've done and what's happened and how this is now, it's come home to roost, and they finally come to a are coming to a space of repentance. Then, verse 24, then Joseph turned away from them and wept. You ever been in a point where someone who's wronged you finally says after years, I'm really sorry? Right? That's what's happening here. That they're just recognizing. And Joseph, Joseph, you know, it's, a, it's actually kind of an interesting dynamic. He's angry, but he's also really hurt. And it says here, he turned away from them and wept. And then he turned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It's really weird psychology going on here. It's both anger and sadness tied together into one big nasty knot of brokenness. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. This is interesting. They don't know this, right? Joseph, after they admit that, they've, that they killed him, that the, the blood guilt is on their head, and Joseph is brought to tears over it. And verse 25, and this is Joseph beginning to unravel as well. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provision for the journey. This was done for them. They don't know it. That's why they discovered the money later on. Anybody have any observations about what's going on here? Are y'all tracking with what's cooking? Okay. Um, this is going to be important because in two weeks we're going to talk about Joseph revealing himself and then it's just this great big, you know, aparte, yeah. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And one of them opened his sack and gave his donkey fodder at the lodging place. And he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned to one another, trembling, saying, what is this that God has done to us? What's going on? They are guilt-ridden, and now they feel that they are going to be found guilty by the Egyptians of treachery. They said to Joseph, we're honest men. And now, what's that? And now they are fearful that now Joseph's going to find out that somehow this money got in their bag. Who stole it? Who did this? And that, and that the jig is up. Any, any, I guess I'm going to stop there for a second. Anybody have any observations or questions about this? Um, okay. When they came to Jacob, Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took, out, took us to be spies to the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the, and they're re, they're re, if you read this closely, if you are so inclined, they actually... Um, and I was going to go through this with you, but it's just too much detail. But if you go back and trace out what actually transpired and what they're relaying to their father, they've sanitized it quite a bit. They're actually lessening the blow to the old man because they're, they know that ben, they know they got to tell him that they got, he's got to give him Benjamin, that they are not going to be caught as being treacherous because they've taken the money, and they know that this is, they're not in a very good place right now, so they're trying to maybe break it to him gently. You ever done that before? Of course not. Um, then the man, the Lord of, uh, verse 33, then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, by this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your household and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. And they emptied their sacks. Behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their fathers saw the bundles of money, they were afraid because they know, they know that the deal they cooked up with Joseph 
he's not going to honor it because they have proven to be dishonest men by taking the money back. Is that clear, everybody, what's going on here? Okay. And jo Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. <sighs> Thanks, Dad. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come upon me. Then Rumid said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for your bro his brother is dead. And look at this. Listen, this is classic Jacob. And he is the only one left. He's talking to the brothers. Reminds me, my dad once said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, you know what, I so much, this is classic Tony Rodriguez. He says to me, you know, I so much prefer being a grandfather to being a father. I said, oh, why is that, dad? He goes, because when I had my own, my own kids, I had to take care of them. With my grandkids, I just got to give them back. And I'm like, dad, you recognize that I'm your kid. Just, oh, right, sorry. Classic Tony Rodriguez, my dad's awesome. But anyway, so, um, Right. Why did the brothers feel guilty if they still had the money? Because they had nothing to do with because because appearances are gonna because appearances are gonna be oh yeah I mean Joseph has said to them I mean they bought the grain they were there to purchase the grain and when they get back and see the grains there along with the money yeah maybe they didn't steal it but they've been framed or something I mean they don't actually say what they think is going on we don't know. But what they're afraid of is now that they have tried to convince Joseph they're honest men, now that deal is blown. And the fact of the matter is, they're not honest men. Right? <laughs> so the, 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 the guilt that is on their heads is well-founded. And Joseph, um, this is, um, and then jo Jacob says, of course, this classic thing, my son shall not go down. So Jacob initially says, you're not taking Benjamin with, a, with you, no way. He changes his mind. But initially Jacob says, my son will not go down with you for his brother is dead and now he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. I mean, what a, dad, really? <laughs> I mean, you gotta know, right? So. There's a lot of layers here. Does it, do you see the, fam the family dynamics going on? And yet, despite all of it, you see several themes. You see the Holy Spirit working on the hearts of these men to bring them to a state of repentance, which they are now in. What have we done, right? You are seeing God's grace being manifested through Joseph, who despite the fact that his brothers just owned up to intending to kill him, he is not only giving them the grain, but also giving them the money so we see grace, and we see God's providence throughout the whole story. Yes? Um, he's called the Lord of the land, Joseph is. Yes. And he's working for the Pharaoh. Right? Correct. And Mary, we missed the last two weeks. Uh, how is it that he won the favor of the Pharaoh? Well, we, uh, I would say if you miss, I would say go back and look at the videos on the website, uh, because it's all there. Uh, but the short answer is, the, Joseph earned favor with the Pharaoh because Joseph was good-looking, competent, uh, efficient, and most importantly, the Lord was with him. And actually even says that in the text. What's that? And he interpreted dreams, right. So Joseph could interpret dreams by God's grace. Uh, he was, a, and again, this is an interesting dynamic because 
it's not that like Joseph doesn't do anything and then every you know it's not like he's like got the Midas touch where he just things just magically appear. Joseph is a man of integrity. He's got a big mouth and he's cocky, but he's a man of integrity. But God also works through him, so it's kind of a both and. Does that make sense? Um, God intends for us to work hard and be efficient and be deliberate in our call to serve him, but at the end of the day, it's all just about him. <laughs> so that's the, that's the answer to your question, Ron, yeah. that Pharaoh chooses Joseph because Joseph is efficient, he's good, he's competent, he's trustworthy, he's honest, he loves God, he can interpret dreams by God's grace, but most importantly, it's because God is with him. And that's actually always the case. Always the case. Any other observations or questions? Did you learn anything today? Yes. What'd you learn? Simeon got the raw end of the deal. He sure did. <laughs> what you also, I hope you learned, what I hope you learned, and the, the point I want you to see over and over again, and I've said this to you before, the Bible is unique. Well, it's the Word of God, and it's unique in that sense. But it's actually, if you look at religious texts from people, historically in human, human in history, you rarely see that the people in the texts are broken train wrecks. Does that make sense? You ordinarily, you see these, if you read um, ancient texts of hero stories, right, from the Greeks or something or whatever, you see men and women that are held up as a, these paragons of virtue, and those are the ones that God really loves. Nonsense. The Bible is the exact opposite. It shows you repeatedly just the contrary, that the people in the stories are a bunch of broken sinners like you and I are, but that God works through them anyway, thanks be to God, by his grace and by his mercy. And in his own time. And in his own time. Yes. That's a, that's a good point. There's a period of eight years that transpires between Joseph going into Egypt. I counted this last time. I, I could be off on that number. 15 years, whatever the number was. A long time. God takes a long time to answer prayer sometimes. And they what? And they, they eat all it. That's right. That's right. They eat it all. Yeah, it takes two years, two more years before the boys return again. So again, there are long periods of time here. And you and I both know we want answers quick and dirty, right? We want God to answer our prayers by next Tuesday. Thank you. Well, one thing I want you to learn from this is that God answers prayers, but it's in his own time. And it's not, not in the absence of suffering but in the midst of it. And that's really empowering because that shows you that when you're suffering and wrestling and struggling, don't say, oh, God doesn't love me or God's not caring for me. Hang on, there's a bigger picture here than you can see. But God's in control and he works not despite suffering, but in the midst of it. So. And we must keep faithful. And that's right, the one thing, to Bob's point, one thing we have to remember is that God is faithful, right? Which is the one thing that makes Joseph of the whole story that allows him to be the one who carries the torch, right? Who carries the banner in the story. Joseph's one um, thing which makes him different from everybody else is that Joseph is faithful and he does the right thing, usually, even though he's got a big mouth and short-tempered and so forth, but for the most part. But that's actually kind of the point. Anything else? So I hope I'm, I'm, I'm trying to infuse you all with a love for this because it's really great. Read ahead. Go back and reread it. There's a lot, now that you kind of have the big narrative, you'll pick out stuff and go, wow, I never noticed that before. And these characters will come alive and you'll begin to really see uh, yourself and people that you know. One more comment. Yes, Lynn? I keep thinking of what you said, that Judah is going to be the person who 
progenitor of Jesus. That's right. And here Judah is one of the guys that put Joseph in the, in the pit. pit. That's exactly right. And here he's, you know, oh, I'm an honest guy and all this stuff. And it's still Judah is one of them. Judah is one, yes. Of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's a good point. Lynn makes an interesting observation that Judah, sorry? That's right. And Judah, yes, that's right. Judah is, is the progenitor of Jesus. He's a broken, sinful man who tries to kill his brother Joseph. Incidentally, if you go through and read the lineage of Jesus in the beginning of Matthew's gospel, not only is Judah in there, but so is uh, uh, the woman who is the, uh, it says that, um, what's her name? Bray, no, no, no. Um, the one that David killed her, killed the husband. Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So not only is Judah in Jesus' lineage, so was a man who murdered another, another man and took his wife. I mean, there's all sorts of salacious details in there. And actually, that should be really comforting for you and I because... Because <laughs> we're, we're all broken train wrecks. But, we all, but you see... <laughs> But you see God's glorious grace and providence throughout it. Thanks be to God. One more quick one. Yes. Yeah, people haven't People have not changed at all. People have not changed. That's right. People have not changed at all. Well, I don't know. We're certainly maybe so. But the, the point I want you to see here is that God is not a God of the clouds and sky. He's a, and and butterflies and fairy tales. He's a God of real people, and you're reading about him. And I want you to learn that as just a real love for the, the grittiness and the earthiness and the reality of that book you have in front of you and God's word. So shall we pray? And then we'll conclude. The Lord be with you. Lord God, we thank you for your word, which is just so practical and in which we see ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your word, which encourages us, which challenges us, which sometimes makes us cringe a little, uh, but was, which is true. And at the end of the day, it's about your grace and your mercy upon people whom you love and you sent Jesus Christ to die to save. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for Joseph, for his faith. We thank you, Lord, for um, this story. Help us to amend our lives in accordance with the grace given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, we ask that you like, subscribe, or share this message. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity Episcopal Church, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.